Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The race is on, and Max Verstappen justified his and Red Bull's pre-season favourite tag by dominating the Bahrain Grand Prix, with teammate Sergio Perez backing him up in second place. But just how far behind are the rest, and did we really see the best of Mercedes and Ferrari? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us with all the answers are Scott mitchell now and Mark Hughes. Well, Scott, we'll come to you first. We'll pretend I've not been with you pretty much solidly in Bahrain for the past week two weeks however long we've been here through through testing so how was the first weekend of the season for you uh, i enjoyed it um obviously the the outcome of the race was as expected and it wasn't the um racing spectacle at the front that everybody hoped it would be given that is what you want for any grand prix but especially the the season opener but first week back Racing properly is always fun. Testing was that back at school vibe after the summer break. And then you go away for a few days, come back for racing proper. It, it's just, it, it, it's, it's been, it's been busy. Um, but it's nice because we did some videos on the way into the track each day. And on one of the, I can't remember which day it was because I've been getting the days of the week wrong all week because of the strange schedule. But the nonsense did finally stop. And we actually went racing, which was um, which was which was good. And I don't just mean nonsense as in off-track stories. I mean nonsense as in the guesstimations of testing and the the speculation and all of that. We got some concrete answers. Absolutely, maybe not all the answers that we wanted for a spectacular season, but I think there's some interesting storylines in there and the chance for some fascinating threads through the season. Mark Hughes, we talked on a recent podcast. But is this your 25th year? Uh, covering F1 full-time, so... It is indeed, yeah. 25th consecutive year, yeah. Excellent. So where does this stand? It's always good the first weekend of a season, isn't it? It is, yeah. And um, it's just you you get um, a, a sort of a, a present a, a present sort of bias, don't you, because of the excitement of the now. Um, so I wouldn't like to rank it, not until after long after I've retired. And I'll, uh, I'll do a special guest appearance then as an old man and let you know. That's an admirable organisation. You'll have to wait a bit of a while before that will happen, I'm afraid. You're going to be uh, uh, stuck doing a few more of these yet. But yeah, they are, they are all special, the, uh, the season openers. Some are spectacular, some are slightly more dull races, but they're all foundational for the season that's to come. So we'll put a little bit more meat on the bone. And Mark, we'll come to you first for the first time this year with our traditional first question. Would you like to explain how the race was won? Um, it was won by a Red Bull RB20, which has just got um, a heap better balance of downforce than the others, which allows it to be easier on its tyres, which um, ex- exaggerates its race day advantage uh, compared to the competition, which is very much the pattern we've seen for the last two seasons. Um, but everybody's got faster, uh, but Red Bull has got faster just as its rivals have got faster. And the um, that edge of advantages is still evidently there. 
yeah, a good summary. Ultimately, it does come down to best car wins race, which often is the case. But there were some points of interest because although the Grand Prix itself was quite an easy one for Verstappen, he controlled it with consummate skill, as you'd expect a driver of his calibre with a car that had a performance advantage. But it seemed to be a bit of a battle through practice as well. I know he's always pushing and trying to get everything right. The old gear change thing was cropping up regularly through practice, but it didn't all just come magically and easily, did it? No, it took a lot of unpicking. And um, the unusually cool uh, Thursday and Friday was very different to how conditions had been um, in testing last week. And yes, of course, that's the same for everyone. But I think when when you get a, a sudden change of track conditions like that especially when you factor in crosswinds through two of the trickiest corners on the circuit um it very often happens that the car with the most downforce is the one that's most adversely affected it's the one that's losing the most um when it's you know the rear wing is unloaded by that crosswind as you go through that transition part of the corner and if you've already got more understeer as you is your turn in, um, which I, I think they biased the car very much towards understeer, as everyone did, but I think um, them more than, than most, then that sort of pivots the car around. You, 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 the, the snap that you get is even more vicious, which means you can't carry quite as much confidence in as you, as you would do normally. And, and Max was saying that the conditions of today, which are a lot warmer and, more importantly, uh, the wind direction had changed like 90 degrees and was far less severe. Uh, it, it just made the car a much nicer drive, a much better balanced drive, and something in which he, in which he was much more confident. But uh, even so, even notwithstanding all that, it did take a lot of sort of... You, you've, we've seen it many times in the past. There were the, the, the certain tracks where it takes a lot to unpick and, and actually get to the, the, the car's potential, whereas the Ferrari... Certainly over the last two years, it seems one of its strengths has always been what performance it has is very accessible very quickly. And that looked to be the case through, the, the, you know, through, um, through this weekend when the Ferrari was, of course, very fast in qualifying and um, arguably could, could have been on pole. And we should, Scott, really pay tribute to the work that Red Bull's done. There was talk about convergence and everybody getting closer following what the RB19 had done. We thought when the car was launched that maybe they changed the game a bit, stolen a bit of a march. And so it's proved. And although we would rather see a Red Bull and a Ferrari and Mercedes and all these battling for position for, for P1 on track, you've absolutely got to take your metaphorical hat off to what Red Bull have done because it is absolutely astonishing what they're doing. Yeah, I always find it amazing when a dominant team looks to try and change the game further because it happens very rarely the other time i've seen it was when do you remember when mercedes rocked up at pre-season testing with the the das system and it was it was just like this is ridiculous this team this is why they keep winning because they just find these ways of of reinterpreting regulations and trying to do something that hasn't been done before or they do something that is vaguely familiar in a different way they're not satisfied with what they've got they 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 really try to move things on and that is what ripple's done with with this car they've reimagined some visual elements that we've seen on other cars but they've 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 taken anything that you think is remotely similar on this red bull 
to other cars on the grid or other cars on the grid from the past year or two, it is it's almost light years beyond any anything like that. The 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 from the from the concept underpinning the car to the way that they lay the car out to achieve that to the way that they cloak all of that with the bodywork and shape that bodywork to achieve certain things aerodynamically their mastery of this rule set and the their comprehension of that relationship between aerodynamics and mechanics and the fact that Max Verstappen is driving so so well and able to adjust through a weekend and take advantage of when things through both extremely hard work and circumstance, like the wind tre- changing, for example, on, on race day, to just obliterate the opposition. And I completely agree. I would love to see more competition. I would love to see a three, four, five team fight at the front. But we had a qualifying session that the outcome might have felt a little bit, oh, here we go again. But that wasn't guaranteed. Charles Leclerc should have been on pole. McLaren should probably have had a car on the front row, maybe third. The the race result itself is just the result is just the the consequence of a simply superior car being driven by an absolutely outstanding driver. And I know it's not what some people want to hear, but that is what sport is meant to be. It is meant to reward the people who do the best job. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no question that Red Bull and Verstappen have been doing that. And obviously, there have been a lot of off-track distractions. We talked about that at length, Scott, on the podcast about the Christian Horner situation a few days ago. Obviously, since we did that, there has been uh, a much-talked-about leak. Now, we reported that happened. However, because all those materials that are from an anonymous source can't be verified, etc., we're not going to talk about those. I'm sure people will have heard all sorts of things, but... The main thing is that that situation overshadowed the weekend. Christian Horner was basically saying the same thing whenever he was asked about it and just not not engaging on it, which is, I guess, the the inevitable thing. And I guess that's the only real thing, isn't it, that Red Bull had that distraction and the race team itself was just able to execute amid all of that. Well, the season opener turned into a bit of a sideshow to this quite ridiculous tabloid affair. And... I think the only thing I would like to say about it all is that the the nature of the way it's played out with this alleged leak, and I only say alleged because, like you say, we can't verify the the images, and a lot of people have tried, and Horner won't comment on whether they're genuine or not. Um, I think Red Bull even batted away an attempt to ask if the, the, the images are, are genuine. So I'm not going to read anything into it just because, as you say, there's all sorts of complications around it. But there's clearly, moving past the specifics of what's gone on, the investigation, the outcome of the investigation, what some people might perceive to be a push for transparency or getting the truth out or anything like that, for, for, for what happened the other day with that material being sent round to 100 and, I think, I think it was 150, maybe 149 people in F1, of which the three of us were, were, on the, were on the mailing list, but it went to the most senior figures in, in, in the championship. It's nothing, it's nothing more or less than an attempt to discredit him and put pressure on, regardless of the details and mechanics of the, the case itself, the allegations, the investigation, any of that. 
which I really, really, really hope has been taken seriously and has the right outcome, the fact that it hasn't been left with that investigation means someone somewhere wants to turn the screw. But I'll be stunned if this ends with what has happened in the build-up to the Bahrain Grand Prix because the fact that that has happened means that someone doesn't want to let this go. And I think we will end up talking about this again. <laughs> yes, yes, very, very likely we will be but yeah there's various reasons why we're not going to go too much more into it at this stage but we can talk a little bit more about uh, about Red Bull in general and quickly Scott Sergio Perez he qualified fifth came through to second pretty easily in the race how good a start to the season for him is that I actually thought pretty good I think qualifying the deficit to Verstappen wasn't horrific was it three and a half tenths I think um, yeah. and it should have been a lot closer in fact I think that nearly that entire margin came through through and out of turn one in qualifying when Checo I think overslowed it slightly into turn one and then had a little bit of a slide sort of mid to exit and it just meant from that point onwards from the minimum from the point that they're at their minimum speed in the corner to the point they're both on full throttle that he loses about a quarter of a second but then he loses maybe a, a tenth or so over the rest of the lap so actually pretty neck and neck in qualifying I thought he did a good job and and the race was really like okay helped by Leclerc having trouble and um, George Russell having cooling issues in the Mercedes but pretty serene progress to get into that position did exactly what Ribble needed him to do and I'd be interested to know if in tracking the races whether Mark thinks that Checo was perhaps flattered by Max not pushing as much as he wanted to but all things considered even with that big margin did kind of feel like as good a season opener as Checo could have hoped for. Yeah, I think Max um, had plenty in hand. And I don't... I mean, even compared to last year, when, if you remember, GP was imploring him to slow down and he just went radio silence and just kept doing, like, seven-tenths under the the, uh, the target lap. Um, there wasn't any of that this year. And when you look on board, he, he does have a lot to spare, I think... Um, you know, it could have been. It could have been bigger. It was a smaller um, margin of the best non-Red Bull uh, than was last year's. But I, I think that might just have been a reflection on how hard he was choosing to push. Yeah, and I think probably if you're Checo, you'll be very, very happy to have at least ensured there's no pressure immediately this season. He's done the job that he's there to do by finishing second. And yeah, like you say, that he's not there to challenge Verstappen or beat Verstappen I think either in terms of what the team wants or what any of us really expect but if he can keep doing that then they'll be happy yeah I'd, I'd, at risk of skipping ahead to something that's probably later in your running order or potentially in some of the members club questions if you were going to judge if we're going to score the people that are keen on a Red Bull seat for 2020 for 2025 race by race this year it's absolutely one nothing nothing Checo amongst the other Red Bull drivers isn't it because Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki Sonoda didn't have stunning races. Sonoda undermined his own good race by being a bit immature and hot-headed afterwards. And Checo, Checo needs to open the door for someone else to, to come in. And he's not doing it with that kind of performance. That kind of performance is is exactly what he needs to do to to, to, to make that seat his own again for, for another year. Yep, which is just what he needs to do. So let's talk about Ferrari now. Mark, they were the closest challenger. We were expecting him to be the closest challenger to Red Bull, and they were. Could have been on pole. Should have been on pole, you could even say. 
clearly not on Red Bull's pace in the race, but third and fourth for Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. So what did you make of Ferrari's performance? And do you think they've proved themselves to be better over a race distance as they intended? And have they got something to work with here in terms of taking the fight to Red Bull? Yeah, they definitely have. It's a much better um, platform than last year's car, which was always limited by its tyre deck um, to a greater or lesser extent, according to the layout of the circuit, of course, and the conditions. But the, fundamentally, that that was always its underlying limitation. This one hasn't got that. This one's got uh, tyre deck, which you know it was better than Merck's, for example. Um, it, it looks perfectly reasonable. Um, it's it's longer runs were, were pretty good uh, in in the in the practices and uh, there was no you know everybody's deg is high here it's that sort of circuit but theirs wasn't notably worse than anyone's apart from the Red Bulls but the Red Bulls you know when when a car is a, has a a performance margin like that you you can run faster to the same tire temperatures and that's that's essentially defines the deg so. Yes, as, as Signs put it, it feels like this platform is something which is going to allow us to just keep putting downforce on, whereas that wasn't the case with the other one because it was so imbalanced and, and had so many little quirks that needed to be uh, sort of developed around so you weren't just simply putting one brick on top of another one and making it faster and faster. He feels that this one has the potential for that. Um, it looks vice free it's retained the strength of the old car in terms of it's it's very looks very good in the slow corners um it's accessible it's set up seems nice you know nicely accessible to to get the sweet spot um it's got good power unit so yeah i think this is a much better car and uh you know it's a sort of car that i think you could probably have put up, up against the rb19 and had quite an interesting contest but um the 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 game's been moved on a little yeah, it sounds a little bit like too little too late in that regard but yeah it's better than last year fred Vasseur was talking after the race saying well we are in a better situation so we've got something to work with we didn't execute perfectly this weekend there's more we could have done not only in qualifying but also of course Charles Leclerc had those braking problems the front locking uh that's really in the first in in particular held him back and then a bit in the uh, in the second so from that, P3, P4 behind the two Red Bulls, fundamentally second best, but ahead of the chasing pack. So solid. Yeah, they're just going to need a really quick development rate. Interesting to see a little bit of uh, Science versus Leclerc battling as well, though, wasn't it, Scott? Given, obviously, Science knows he's out at the end of the year, whatever happens. <laughs> so he's determined. I mean, he'll play the team game, but he wants to make sure that he shows what he can do. Well, he's got he's sending a message every time he beats Leclerc or goes wheel to wheel with him, isn't he? He's he's advertising himself to others and he's also just reminding Ferrari of what a good driver they're letting go. Um I think uh I think Ferrari probably could have handled that slightly better. Like Leclerc had such an obvious problem, it didn't make any sense to let them race uh, one another and I think they did accidentally undercut Leclerc past signs, didn't they, with the way that they did the the pit stops. Um I I was interested actually because Signs and Signs was rightly very happy with with his performance and 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 his pace but Leclerc was absolutely adamant that had he not had that locking issue and had he been able to run the race that he should have been able to run with track position 
he would have def- he would have finished second and the gap to Verstappen wouldn't have looked as dramatic as it was and it sets the scene quite nicely with those two because they are they're going to want to assert themselves over the other for different reasons this year signs for the reasons I mentioned just now in terms of sending a message and advertising himself but Leclerc because he's going up against Lewis Hamilton in the next couple of seasons and whether he beats or doesn't beat Lewis he's doing it against one of the greatest drivers ever if he loses in his final season against signs or looks unspectacular against signs that's a bigger blow to him than I think anything that could happen in in two years alongside Hamilton so there's actually quite a lot of quite a lot at stake I think between these two drivers in the short term the main thing is what they're actually able to do with this car and I don't really think Ferrari executed a perfect race across either car obviously for Leclerc but even with signs with the way they handled that battle between the two of them so there's clearly room to improve it does look like a good baseline the question is whether or not all of those things that Mark talked about earlier in terms of exaggerating Rebel's advantage come back enough combined with Ferrari stepping up and getting more out of this car to make a fight further down the line that's the big unknown and that's obviously what we'd like to see because you just want that competition at the front we'll come on to Mercedes in a moment but I wanted to talk a little bit about McLaren first Scott the reason being that in qualifying Lando Norris felt the pace was there to have been on the front row maybe so ahead of uh, the Mercedes uh, of George Russell and also even perhaps a, a an underperforming Ferrari. So P6 for Norris and then P8 for Oscar Piastri and the race seemed a little bit subdued. So what do we learn about McLaren's form and the strengths and weaknesses of that car? Yeah, if you looked at the ideal laps, um, uh, not even just what Norris thought, there was clearly a much better qualifying result on the table. But actually, I don't think that car was any better than the third or fourth fastest car here. This track isn't best suited to that car and the reason it's not best suited to that car is it's still not the all-rounder they need it to be the lingering weaknesses we know that are there in particular slow speed difficulties and the the way the car is a little bit hesitant to rotation it's difficult to get the car through the corner especially in the in the middle of the corner um that's all still there that resolving that is not the work of a work of a moment otherwise as Norris puts it they'd have solved it a long time ago and actually through the winter um, I think they realised that between what they want to do aerodynamically and mechanically they just need more time and these are items that aren't worth signing off early to get on the car for race one so it's not quite the same as missing targets like they did last year it's just the magnitude of the task at hand so they're Big, their big focus at the moment from the aerodynamics group is on uh, low speed aerodynamic performance and then on the mechanical side they're looking to introduce a few things don't know the specifics yet but to just broaden their setup options I think they want to see what they can do I think they need to add something mechanically to the car to give it give them a bit more of a window to, to, to play with in terms of how they set it up mechanically so you do that so that you've got more options at the track and then you also add pure aerodynamic performance at low speed and I actually got Andrea Stella to explain sort of what that meant and without going into too much detail here um, he ended up taking a notebook of one of my colleagues and (laughs) actually drawing a little diagram of a car going through two different angles of corners to explain how um, 
different it is when you're trying to develop a car aerodynamically for cars with um, different levels of steering lock and different speeds and the way the air the the airflow will hit the car and from different sides it, it was it was it was fascinating but it also just showed how specific and scientific they need to get to get on top of this specific problem it's not just a case of just adding load generically um, so I think that's where McLaren's at I don't think this is a car that is improved enough to be a threat on a circuit like this but clearly they have improved a reasonable amount over the winter anyway with what they have been able to do for race one because I don't think the car at the end of last year would have got this result and obviously if you think back to where McLaren were in Bahrain 12 months ago this is miles ahead of that yeah absolutely it's a reasonable foundation for them fourth quickest all round they'll probably be a little bit disappointed with that but they should be better in Jeddah Exactly. So we'll see how they get on in a week's time. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. 
That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Right, Mark, let's get on to Mercedes now because there was a lot of positivity from the drivers about that improved rear stability. A solid foundation to build from was the message they keep putting out. How disappointed were you to see the best Mercedes in fifth place and 47 seconds behind Verstappen? And perhaps you can explain some of the reasons why that perhaps wasn't entirely representative. Yeah, that was an underperformance. And uh, the, uh, the as you say, the messaging is very like Ferrari's in that this car doesn't have the, the vices of the old car. And it's a sort of clean, hygienic sort of foundation, if you like, for us to, to develop and, and just you know, add downforce as as we develop it. Um, unfortunately, they made uh, an optimistic choice with the cooling levels for the bodywork. Um, they'd gone, as you recall, Hamilton went quickest in FP2, which rather surprised them. And they'd realised they probably erred a little bit too much towards the qualifying in, in, in the compromise that you have to make, well, everywhere, but a, but a lot here between... Uh, qualifying and race pace because you have to protect rear tyres so much and put a, a level of understeer in the car. Um, they'd the setup that it arrived at on uh, Thursday was very fast over a single lap, but that's not what the, they were intending to do. So they they had to sort of dial back a little bit on that, except that they were sacrificing some um, qualifying time because that was really unrepresentative and. In order to try and uh, claw back some of that uh, that they'd, get, they'd given up, they chose uh, the most closed of all the bodywork options that they had available to them, uh, which turned out to be wrong, because uh, race day was um, although it was always forecast to be warmer than Thursday and Friday, it was warmer by a, a greater extent than had been forecast. So within three or four laps, both drivers were getting the big warning light saying power unit too hot. And it was affecting how the battery was uh, operating too, uh, so they were in they were in a bit of a mess, and uh, they were lifting and coasting sort of a hundred meters earlier than they, they would ideally have been standing on the brakes. So, um, yeah, it, it it was a shame, really, a little operational detail that, as Russell said, would maybe have cost them if they'd gone the next level up of cooling opening it up one more level it would maybe have cost them four milliseconds of qualifying lap time but it's ended up costing them four tenths of per lap of race time so you say well where would that four tenths per lap have put it in the race and about on level with science so just as testing looked uh it, it seems very equally matched with the ferrari it's it's a sort of similar level of competitiveness to the ferrari um, but it, it, yeah, they they sort of compromised themselves uh, um, a little bit by being just a little bit too racy in their bodywork choice. Yeah, and Russell was P5, Hamilton P7 in the end in that race. But yeah, Toto Wolff was being sort of gently positive after the race, again, stressing the fact they have got a car they can work with and feeling that it was very much in the forefront of that chasing pack behind Red Bull. But he did admit that yeah Red Bull are in a different galaxy and that although the fact that their performance is better and they've got a car that has that 
mechanical platform that they can work with and they should be able to just add performance to. He, he said it's sort of a very thin silver lining you can just about see uh, for them in terms of being able to fight with Red Bull. So a lot of work to be done there. But at least Mercedes don't feel they'll just be going round and round in circles, hitting the same problems as perhaps they've done in 2022 and 2023 slightly different problems in in each of those two years but never with a baseline car that could be developed enough to be a threat to Red Bull this one at least has got a lot more to go so yeah again positive and also we have to say it's got a good start for Russell's in terms of his season he wants to show that he can be the long-term team leader Toto Wolf said He's the potential Mercedes team leader uh, for the future. So a good start for him to be the lead driver in qualifying and and the race. Yeah, exactly. He just, um, I think he needed a nice sensible weekend more than anything after last season being so up and down. So just to to get through the the potential pitfalls of this weekend, not just with um, the specific specific issues they had in the race, um, but also just how, tight that 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 group was from second to ninth in qualifying was three temps or so um you really had to execute well to to start at the head of that pack so russell nailed it when it mattered i i was worried in the race early on that he had gone a bit too early in the the first in we've seen it a few times he has done that and taken too much out of the tires so when he started to then fade i was fearful that was the 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 payback basically for his over enthusiasm at the start of the stint. But I think that was more down towards the down to the cooling issues and management than, than anything else. So give him the benefit of the doubt there. I thought he did a very good job overall. Uh, It'll be interesting to see sort of how that dynamic shifts with this car going forward. It shouldn't be quite as peaky and swingy as the, the, the last couple. So I would expect to see both drivers being able to put in consistently good performances Going forward, obviously Hamilton was just hamstrung by ultimately not quite delivering when he needed to in qualifying. Yeah, absolutely. I think overall, we did get a pretty clear picture from this top four with, to go back to what we're doing in testing, we're ranking the teams. Red Bull clearly leading, Ferrari second, Mercedes perhaps just behind, but a lot closer than they looked in this race and then McLaren sort of fourth best but that's just based on one circuit and that of course brings us to fifth best Aston Martin Scott and they were really interesting because the cars look quite nice on track since the start of testing and I must admit as the weekend went on I was starting to think oh maybe this Aston's got a bit more race pace than I thought it had and then the race happened and I said no it hasn't got more race pace than I thought it had yeah but that's because you're underestimating the exceptional job Fernando Alonso did in qualifying not my words his but it's not like Fernando Alonso to talk himself up. It's frustrating, Alonso, because he talks himself up and you want to think he's just exaggerating. But he's so good. But to be fair with this one, he did it, he played it brilliantly. I don't I don't think he was doing it intentionally in qualifying on Friday evening. Oh, you got the day right yeah, for did, the first exactly. time this weekend. I know. Um I'm so proud of myself. Um but he just did it he built on it so perfectly after the race. Uh, because after qualifying, he told us that he was massively surprised to be sixth because the one lap pace hadn't been particularly stunning and they'd had to do a lot of work, I think, here this week to get the car in a better window. He said he felt more connected in it. And he was optimistic because he was thinking, well, the long runs have been a bit so-so, but generally they're better in race trim than they are one lap pace, so this could be quite good. 
So then when he came over to us after the race, I said, yesterday it was a surprise. Was it a negative surprise today? And that's when he was just like, no, no, no. That just proves that yesterday was exceptional by me. So it's just amazing. He teed it up. I was just like, look at how much we've over... What a massive surprise. How how impressive we've been in qualifying today. This is fantastic. 24 hours later, that was all me, baby. (laughs) (laughs) How very Fernando Alonso, but... Interesting that he'll be a bit concerned about the performance of the Aston. It's well, in his words, they were in nobody's race. Well, that's very true. Well, I was, I was just double-checking the gap. It was 60, 74 seconds Alonso was off the lead. And absolutely, Alonso with Stroll, who uh, did that recovery drive after the uh, the spin at the first corner, not his fault, incidentally, very much on their own. They're ahead of the, uh, the lapped field, as it were, from P11 downwards, although Stroll was very close to being lapped. But, yeah... 18 seconds off the uh, off the top eight so some work to be done there from Aston Martin they do look like kind of where they look like they might be just that they're sort of a bottom part of Q3 team yeah I'm a, a, a little bit worse than I I expected them to be I mean we we thought it was a coin flip between them and McLaren for for this circuit in particular um to have not been able to beat McLaren at McLaren's worst track or one of their worst tracks rather certainly a recent bogey track for McLaren I think is cause for concern. The silver lining for them is that they won't go into too much detail, but they're talking a good game at the moment in terms of how they've completely changed the philosophy of preparing the base car, basically, and then setting it up for development through the season to rectify what they got wrong and why last season in terms of stagnation with the the upgrades that they brought and the fact that they actually managed to bake in... um, more negative characteristics as the season went on so Alonso sort of talking I think he even used I can't remember the exact phrase he used but he compared it to McLaren last year and said that they need to do what McLaren did last season and develop super strongly and cut and have a great second half of the year but they're obviously they're actually starting this year better than McLaren started last year but I think we can't just take it on trust that Aston are going to have a better development rate this season. We just we just can't. They, they, they need to prove it. And they're going to need to have upgrades on the car quickly if they want to do anything more than just snipe for lowly points finishes. Because two cars in the points is is fine. They, they actually have achieved their target for, for this Grand Prix in doing that. But but the, the two lowest point scoring positions is not what... That's not good enough for a team with the ambition that they have. Yeah, I think, I think the fact... You know, we talked about it last year on a few occasions. That period early last year when they were the second fastest car, we we did say this this was largely because of Ferrari and Mercedes haven't under delivered so spectacularly in the second year of these regulations, mm. and it was a sort of a, a false picture, really. And if circumstance, you, yeah, and if you look at how far away they actually were from the pace last year, even though they were the second fastest car in the race. They qualified at 100.7% of pole. This year it's 100.4. So it's actually quicker relative to pole than last year's car. It's just that there's a whole lot more teams in between them now. While we're on Aston Martin, Scott, what do you make of that first corner incident involving Stroll and Hulkenberg? Really unlucky for Stroll. Really unlucky. I know... Last season, he had a mix of misfortune and just not being good enough, but that that wasn't anything he could have done. He had a great start. He made the most of the fact that Hulkenberg did not have a great start, and he was so comfortably in the position he needed to be in for turn one, was doing nothing wrong, well positioned on the inside line. Hulk 
probably in a little bit of kind of desperation to make amends for the bad start, kind of half put the nose up the inside, then bailed out of it. Needed to slow up a little bit much. It was quite an aggressive bit of braking, I think, just as you get to the entry. And then I don't really think Stroll checked up particularly at the apex or anything like that. It's just Holt just kind of slid into him in the middle of the corner. Biff, round he goes. And at that point, no way do you think if you're Lance Stroll or Aston Martin that you're getting a point out of that car by the end of it. So absolutely fair play. I, I think the... I think they put him on quite an aggressive strategy like to, to, to pull off but he I just genuinely think he did a really good job in managing that track position's great here but you still need to do a lot with it yeah I think he pitted on lap nine which is quite early for a two-stop race for a two-stop race so he was he and Joe were the, he were did the first more than to, 30 laps I think and and I'm pretty sure he was the only person to do that in a stint yeah because he pitted for the second time on lap 27 which was one before Joe. So yeah, he was the first sort of to do a second stop. So well-executed drive and just quite unhurriedly made his way through. I mean that in a good way. Climbed up to 10th place, finished pretty much just where... patient and did yeah, what he needed to he do. He was where the second Aston Martin needed to be. So yeah, absolutely fine. Uh, decent weekend for Lance Stroll. Mark, we sort of had a split field, didn't we? We had that top five group that we've covered... And then there was a second group with RB to the four in qualifying, Sauber in front come the finish, courtesy of uh, Joe Guan Yu. But how close is that group that's that's also got Haas and, and Williams in it? And what did you make of the competitive pattern there? It's it's very difficult to define the exact competitive order in that, that, that group, other than Alpine's at the back of it. And we don't know exactly how quick the Haas is over a, a race stint because Hülkenberg did that brilliant lap, which got him into Q3, but then was in the pits at the end of the first lap for a new nose. And so his his race got really, you know, compromised. So we didn't see him in doing a proper, clear representative run. Kevin Magnussen just was nowhere near Hülkenberg's pace this weekend, so we haven't really got a reading there. Alex Albon was having all sorts of problems with his power unit, so the William showing wasn't representative. Um... Joe Guan Yu did a very good job coming through in the in the Sauber to sort of head that pack, and you know did a, a better job than than RB, but not not on pure pace. It was just you know positioning and and the the pace was about the same as the RBs. So um, yeah, I think I wouldn't like to call it an among that group other than I say the Alpines are at the back of it. Um, and just as a, a further illustration of what I was talking about with the the Aston comparison and pure pace, the um, the Alpines on the back row were 1.8% off pole. And if you'd done 1.8% off pole last year, you'd have been 11th on the grid. So it, it does show that the performance is closing up, but the the identity of the teams and, and, and within its, uh, the order... Uh, of the teams with it within it's it's not really all that mixed up other than the fact that um, Alpine's sort of fallen fallen back yeah we'll come on to them a little bit later but now let's have for the first time this season the return of uh, the race f1 podcast favorite and for 2024 it's got its own little intro which we're going to give its debut now welcome to Valtteri Bottas sympathy corner so what do you think of that, Mark? That's the first time you've heard that. Yeah, I like that a lot. And 
I like the fact you got him involved in it. That's great. <laughs> I, I I say this with complete respect for the body of work you have produced at the race and in previous things you've done it but that's the best thing you've ever done <laughs> well it's i've wanted to do it for a while but obviously technically we can't record in the, in the paddock because we don't have the broadcast rights but obviously at the launch it was fine so and valtteri to, to his credit you know valtteri's a, a he's a really good guy and he's he, he always gets into the the spirit of these he things is, he was more than happy to do he it. is i reckon i reckon he's the only driver on the grid who would do it because I just think everybody else either falls into a category of absolutely going nowhere near this, takes themselves would want to do it, but takes themselves slightly too seriously, or would be up for doing it, but isn't really confident that like it's the right thing for them to do, or, or something like that. Bottas is, I genuinely think, in a class of one for being up for doing that. Absolutely, and, and fair play to him. I'm, I'm really, I like. He's, what what a what a good sport! I must admit, I'm a little bit in. I, I, it's difficult to know what to feel about this because I was quite hopeful that we'd be able to go to Valtteri Bottas Sympathy Corner at some point fairly soon in the season because I really wanted us to deploy that. But I was really hoping that things would go well for Valtteri Bottas. So, can you explain why they didn't, Scott? Uh, because of the aforementioned Hulkenberg Stroll clash, Bottas actually for for well not once but was a very good start from Bottas and he actually he wasn't making himself vulnerable down into turn one positioning wasn't a bit soft he wasn't um he wasn't weak in combat or anything like that he was just desperately unlucky Des like that's why we're in sympathy corner because he gets to the apex of turn one I mean obviously there's some checking up with the the Hulkenberg stroll clash in front of him and then all of a sudden he's having to take evasive action because there is an Aston Martin broadside in, in front of him so yeah the epitome of Valtteri Bottas' sympathy corner. But I'm sure fortunes will turn around sooner rather than later. And either, I'm not going to give anything away, but we might have something a little bit in store if they do. Well, let's hope so. But the thing is, he didn't get out of Valtteri Bottas' sympathy corner even after the first lap, because then he had that second pit stop. There was the front left wheel nut problem, and he was in the stuck in the pit box for an extra 50 seconds. His race was already over by then anyway, because he had front wing damage. He was Peak down Bottas the back, but it was, just, it was just everything's going right. It's funny, I ran into him sometime after the race, and I just said, oh, you had a brilliant race for 10 seconds, because it was going really well as he took off out the inside. But it's uh, he does have a bit of bad luck, Valtteri Bottas. And, uh, I think he might be... I think he might be the unluckiest driver on the grid. I just think back to not just like the last couple of seasons with Sauber where things have gone wrong, but like some of the Mercedes seasons were so plagued by bad luck. And like some people who like might be news of the podcast or or even maybe listening for the first time, we don't we're not this isn't this isn't mocking Bottas. Like when when we do this, like I think all of us get on really well with Valtteri because he is genuinely a lovely guy as well as a very good racing driver and this whole thing comes from genuinely a sustained period of expressing sympathy for him on various iterations of podcasts that we've done over however many years now yeah it's just uh he seems to have a bit of bad luck and it's uh yeah a real shame well i did say to him at the launch i hope we won't have to visit you in sympathy corner too often and he was very hopeful about that but here we are straight away at the first race let's hope we don't go there in Saudi Arabia really uh, uh, yeah doesn't doesn't deserve that but let's now finally get on to Alpine I don't know what corner Alpine belong in misery corner uh, well yeah, there's there's all sorts of very negative phrases but a back row lockout for Esteban Ocon on Pierre Gasly 17th and 18th places in the race ahead only of 
Valtteri Bottas, who had the problems we've already talked about, and Logan Sargent, who basically had to stop with his steering wheel issue for uh, for a while. So they were last of the people who had a, a something approaching a normal race and we had quite a few questions from the race members club about this actually to anticipate uh, uh, the final section Andy Barber just asked why is Alpine so slow so Mark what can you tell us um, they're down on power uh, they're overweight um, straight away you're looking at probably over half a second of lap time just in those two combination of the, the, those two uh, problems or limitations and you know, it, it's that that would put it you know, with a competitive engine, and uh, had they got it down to the weight limit, it um, it would put it in in that pack with the the RB and the Williams and the Sauber, etc. But it it's not, and that's just where they are. And uh, yeah, it's 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 gonna have. Um, we're already seeing that there there are consequences uh, in in terms of the uh, personnel changes we we're already hearing about. Yeah, exactly. As as we've reported, we understand Alpine won't comment on this at all. But Matt Harmon, the technical director, and Dirk De Beer, the head of Aero, tendered their resignations at some point before before this race. It wasn't like they had the race and then they resigned. They had already had already done that and. They're serving out whatever form of notice period. We don't know what the exact uh, exact terms are, but Harmon was, was still on the pit wall. But yeah, so much has gone wrong there. They had the problem. They failed the lateral crash test on the chassis. That's where a lot of the weights come from because they had some weight-saving measures in the, in the monocoque and simulation told them it was all fine. Did the lateral test. It wasn't fine. And they've had to take some corrective action that has just added a heap of weight into the uh, monocoque so that's the main reason for that error wise the car isn't working that well it's not great on traction you mentioned the power issue so there's a lot not really working there the only saving graces are the fact that the Alpine never goes particularly well at this track because it is a bit weak on traction it'll hurt particularly in Bahrain and things are quite close but this is a works team that's been slowest and it's going to take a huge amount for them to even recover to sixth place that they got last year and that wasn't even that good so it, yeah they need some new technical leadership now as well and it's it's just a it's a horrible situation you sort of wanted to think they were on the right sort of track and in some ways they were they were executing better track side at the back end of last year I think the team track side under Julian Rouse is working reasonably well but they've just got a car that's not working that and it's just another circle of these problems, Scott. It's just, but it's more aggressive. It? But it's not like I genuinely think the cycle of misery is getting worse because you look at where they've gone through in in a very quick potted history as they come in and struggle, obviously because of what they took over from what was Lotus, improve, peak, regress, implode, improve, peak, regress implode and then somehow step back further they have they've not done that before the the couple of times we've seen this team dip since the Renault Works team came back in it has followed uh, what has followed is a pretty immediate uh, bit of recovery but that's not happening because the car's overweight the car's not very good the car desperately needs upgrades the most senior technical figures have presumably thrown in the towel or they've been invited to leave and so they've gone yep fine i'll just get out of this everything every senior position in this team from a management point of view and a technical point of view is different to what it was a year ago two years ago five years ago there is 
I was really hoping after what where it got to at the end of last year and some of the things we were hearing over the winter and the way they were positioning it at the launch and ahead of the new season that there was less and less Renault nonsense creeping in to the race team but there has to be something fundamental that is just stopping this organization from being run properly efficiently successfully whatever word you want to use because we don't know the details of why Harmon and De Beer have have resigned but I don't have faith that it's not going to be something silly like them saying Harmon saying we need to do x we need the resource to do x this needs to be improved and Renault group saying no because that would fit perfectly with that organization not backing this team and not backing the people and not giving them the time and not giving them the resources that they need. They expect everything to be done at three quarters or four fifths of what a real works team would actually have. And they want it done yesterday. And it's, I just don't think they know how, what, I don't think they know what they want that F1 team to be. And I don't think they know how to go about doing it. Yeah. You've got to ask what's Luca De Maio, the, the boss of Renault doing at this stage, because as we talked about before, it's best served if Renault just steps back, give the team what they need to do, invest in the facilities or whatever. Because you're right, it can't just be all the people who've run this team over the past X years in the technical roles and the management roles are all just idiots and none of them can do it. It's like a football club. If you have 10 consecutive managers are all underachieved, you've got to start looking at elsewhere rather than just thinking all of these football managers are idiots. Well, look at the, There's more to it than that. A different example, look at Williams. Look at the people that have come through Williams in the last few years. They've achieved success elsewhere or they've then gone on and, 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 and looked good elsewhere. Can't change anything until other big, serious change happens. And that's starting to happen there. It's a different example, but it, 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 it proves that point. Like, it isn't just individuals that are to blame. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's also not the workforce at Endstone. That's another yeah, yeah, thing to massively there. stress. Lots of good people there. And it, it's... It's frustrating because Bruno Famine, who's the team principal, he's saying the right things. He's talking about none of these 100 race plans, five-year plans. It's like, right, constant improvement in all area. He's a very hard worker. A lot of people speak very highly of what he's doing. Does he have the level of autonomy he needs to make things work and to invest? I don't know. But history tells me that Renault-owned Formula One teams very often not to. They tend to succeed in spite of the Renault ownership and with some distance there. We'll see what happens. The one thing I will say is there's no McLaren-like revival three months away like last year because McLaren started the season badly, but they said, right, we've got a plan. We're doing this. We're really confident in this. Alpine have just got the the easy bit of that equation, the uncompetitive car, but I don't think they've got the answers and there's a lot of things that need to be done. They've missed targets aero-wise. There's still some work to be done. And in the meantime, they're just going to have to wring everything they can out of the limited machinery they've got. And I think they actually did a pretty good job at the weekend, the drivers and the team. They, they did what they could, but there just wasn't more there. Maybe it'll be a little bit better at Saudi, but it's not going to be much better. This is going to be a long-running and very tough story. So, yeah, more tough times for everybody at, at that team. And fascinating to see how they act in terms of what they say and communicate about this. And how they go about appointing replacements. The fact they're still working on, maybe they're trying to persuade Matt Harmon to stay on or something. I, I don't know. He was there on the pit wall. Everyone has notice periods, etc. So let's see what goes on there.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Well, this is our style. The final part of the podcast is dedicated to questions from the race members club about the Bahrain Grand Prix. So thanks to everyone who supports the race for your many questions. We'll try and get through as many as we can. And apologies, because we won't get to all of them, unfortunately, for, for time reasons. There's also some very good ones that are a bit less race specific that we'll aim to come back to in the future and for anyone listening interested in joining the race members club you get members podcast ad free website experience there's there's loads uh, there's loads there and yeah we really appreciate the support first up for you mark a question from kieran dick who says how reflective is today's result for the rest of the season is it really a guide to how the remaining races will play out and connected to that alexander dallendorfer asked whether bahrain was a fair representation of the grid order it was a fair representation for that track, yeah, absolutely. It wasn't as though there was some hidden, um, you know, thing that the factor that which uh, would have transformed the race. Uh, arguably, uh, you know, we talked about it before. Charles Leclerc could have had he had a problem-free race, might have got past the other Red Bull of Sergio Perez, but he wouldn't have challenged uh, Verstappen. So I think there's reason to be optimistic that the Red Bull advantage is smaller than last year, but I'm not even certain of that. I would say that there is reason to believe, but I wouldn't be any more, um, you know, certain than than, than that really. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to see some great battles between Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren, and if we're with a following wind and with the right sort of circuit circumstances we may just see them sort of pierce the <laughs> the sort of armor plated shell of um, red bull and, and max verstappen at, at some places I, I i can't really go any further than that scott a question for you from kevin bonfield it looked like max pushed in the first 10 laps and then for a couple more laps after each pit stop how much additional margin do you believe he has in the red bull we've talked about this a bit scott but come on, how many more seconds could he have been up the road, do you think, if he needed to be? Uh, 10 or 15, I reckon. Um, on this track, in on, in those conditions, in that car, I, I think 10 or 15 seconds if he'd, if he'd, if he'd wanted, wanted to. But maybe I'll, I'll also invite Mark to, to, to chip in on that because obviously Mark's got a better understanding of uh, where, where Max was pushing and, and when he was holding back. I think that's, that's fair. I think um, probably a fair representation. Something like that. Something in that, in that order. Next question I'll take from Urban Stenshan, who says, what happens to Ferrari, especially Leclerc, with front tyre locking? Could this be a car concept problem or just track setup specific? Well, the team said they were still trying to understand it. I asked Fred Vasseur about this. 
he didn't think it was anything fundamentally mechanical or to do with the car. It was just that there was a temperature split across the, the front axle. And when you've got that, it's just not going to work because you, you've got one brake working far, far more than the other. That's why the car was pulling uh, in one direction. So that there will be some reason they were trying to understand for that. But it, it did eventually clear just randomly at some point as well. So I don't think it's anything fundamental to Ferrari. There'll be a specific reason that they'll probably explain in detail in Saudi once they've worked it out. I think signs suggested that they also, they, they, they struggled in general with overheating brakes because maybe they were a little bit too ambitious with what they ran, having obviously not run in a train of cars for or, or, or behind other cars for a sequence of many laps in testing. Obviously, Leclerc's issue set in very early, so it's entirely possible that those are unrelated. But it was interesting that Sainz raised his own concern. Yeah, well, they'll be understanding whether there's a, a bigger concern there. Obviously, these teams are still feeling their way with these cars, so interesting questions to ask once we're in Jeddah. Mark, question from Vir Nikari, who says, why wasn't anybody using mediums? Surely it would have been a less risky choice for the last stint. Um, just like last year, the medium wasn't as good as the hard. It was no faster and it didn't have as long a range, so it was completely pointless tyre choice, really. You, you, the hard was a better tyre. Yeah, and you could see that right from the start of the weekend. People had obviously understood it in testing, and that tyre was being burned up pretty early on. Scott, a question from Annie Kramer, who says, with another disappointing performance, what are the odds of Logan Sargent retaining his Williams seat through the end of the 2024 season, and who are the top contenders for replacing him? Pressure being brought to bear early there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No no uh, respite for, for Logan. I mean, uh, I might be misinterpreting the question slightly, Annie, so sorry if I am. He will make it through to the end of the season. Whether he makes it through to 2025 or not, I think will depend on who's available because it's a very open driver market now going forward. And I think Logan will need to up his game from, from last year in particular um, if he is to get um, a renewal at, at Williams. But this weekend, a bit tricky. I mean... I was a bit worried in qualifying because it was that kind of age-old Logan problem of not quite hooking it up when he needed to on the the final runs. But the he had pace. He that 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 wasn't the issue, and the race was obviously wrecked by that very strange um, brake issue, brake system issue. I think it must have been an, electri an electrical issue in the in the steering wheel because they did a steering wheel change um, at the pit stop afterwards. But you saw as he ran down to turn four, uh, just went haywire and wound the brake bias miles forward. I think it was up to like like ninety five percent forward brake bias or something like that very very strange you can actually see it if you go back and find the replay of his onboard um you can see the 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 number just like spike like spiking upwards like gradually just like ticking up 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 because it's not a um it doesn't just suddenly go to the new number it's obviously increasing all the time so very strange issue i haven't seen something like that in that form before and he needed the new steering wheel to resolve it. So yeah, he gets a not a free pass, obviously, because he did an underwhelming qualifying, but the, the the race was compromised for a reason outside of his control. Yeah, and I, don't, I certainly don't think there's any intent within Williams to replace him, and no, during the season, I mean, and there's no obvious candidates uh, for that. Let's move on now to a question from Tal Cohen that I'll take, who says, when you see two teammates line up back-to-back -back on the grid, like we did this past weekend for the Alpine cars, is it a sign the drivers are getting the most from the car and therefore shows the true pace. Well, the answer to that is it depends. It could just mean you've got two slightly mediocre drivers who are doing okay, but not, not brilliantly. I think in the case of the Alpine, I don't think there's any vast seams of performance they weren't exploiting. Gasly was a little bit disappointed because he was at the back of the queue when everyone was uh, 
dawdling heading out onto track so his tire temps weren't where they should have been so that that cost him a little bit Ocon was sort of roughly where but Gasly said right with a perfect lap he might have sneaked through into Q2 or something but yeah I think that's where the Alpine is so often it is the case and I think when you've got two drivers like Ocon and Gasly you'd normally expect if there isn't some hard limit one or the other of them to do a pretty good job in qualifying because they're they're both capable of being very quick they can be a bit erratic but yeah I think it's a fair assumption in this case and and often it is we saw the Alfa Romeos qualified within a thousandth of each other but the one interesting thing is whenever you look at that the laps are always very different there's gains and losses in all sorts of different places so particularly a track like Bahrain where you're managing the tyre even a little bit on a qualifying lap so uh, yeah I think I think it's offered a fair point but it depends on the drivers ultimately it's got a question from Kieran Lister who says does the fact that the points places were locked out by the top five teams indicate there should be an increase of points paying positions I feel the constructors championship would be better served if more teams earned points more often it's it's really tricky because sometimes I sometimes I do feel this way because the point system has evolved over time and there is an argument that it should keep evolving to reflect how the championship now looks. And if 20 cars, 20 cars aren't always going to finish the race, but if the proportion of, or the percentage of cars finishing the race is higher than ever and consistently above a a threshold, then do you need a a slightly different point system to then reflect the, the, how difficult it is to score points. But then part of me feels like, well, but those, those small points are, real rewards when when it's getting into the top 10 and I guess it's like you know rule of 10 or whatever but it's a nice number I don't know how I'd feel about points down to 12th or points down to 14th or or something like that um I I find it very tricky the one one argument I think that is very good for changing the point system and making more available is it would it would very potentially reduce the impact of swingy races where you have like one or two Grand Prix over a season where one team might absolutely not luck in but you know maximize it on a given day have a car finish fifth or seventh and if they're in that one of those tight fights where they're you're only sniping for a point or two every few races that's going to basically guarantee you a certain place in the championship whereas maybe if you were rewarding teams down to 12th for example just to use that number arbitrarily then a team that is constantly on the fringe of points is going to rack up enough of those one two-point finishes over the season that they're going to be protected from a team that flukes one big result. So that would be an argument that I think would be valid for, would be a valid argument within the the pitch for, for changing the system. Question now from Andrew Dale, I'll take. Given the dominant display by Red Bull and Verstappen in Bahrain, the chances of another record-breaking season seem high. Red Bull will be able to stop development as early as last year and ensure a similar result in 2025. The only way to stop this, from my point of view, would be Adrian Newey to leave or retire. Why do you think the other teams have been able to convince him to leave, given any investment in his salary would be worth it, even at $100 million a year? Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Red Bull would still be pretty strong, and even without Newey because they've also got the ideas that he's fed into that team for two decades now as well. But he is a unique mind and a remarkable creative force. Other teams haven't been able to convince him to leave, because I think Newey isn't purely motivated by how much money you can give him. We know from his career that he wants to feel like a team is kind of his own, not in a this is all mine, but it's it's more just be invested in the project. And he has been at Red Bull, and he's considered moves to Ferrari. 
I imagine every team on the grid has tried to lure him over the past 10 years. You ask the question, whoever you are, just on the off chance. But Red Bull utilises him well. They let him play this kind of free role, which is brilliantly suited to him, and he's able to feed into the team in a way that works well for him. And I'm not sure many other teams would allow him to do that necessarily. I think plenty would just assume he was a magic bullet that you just throw in. But you have to build a team around him. Red Bull have done that absolutely brilliantly. And so why would he move from this place that he's massively built as well? You know, he's been critical to Red Bull's success. This is his team. I remember many years ago after they won their first world championship interviewing him and he said, yeah, this is kind of the unfinished business from the Leighton House days when he felt it was his team being built up as it were. So yeah, I just think nobody's been able to offer him a proposition to encourage him to go and that's probably to Red Bull's credit. Right, Mark, a question from Chuck Aoki who says, what on earth was that logic behind swapping Sonoda and Ricardo? Make Yuki angry so he drives faster? It's hard to see any other reason. And Danny Janowski also asked, what was the point when there's no chance of scoring points? Are they trying to cover Hass on countback? <laughs> no, uh, um, Daniel was on the faster soft tyre at this time and Yuki was on the harder tyre. And they were just behind Kevin Magnussen's Haas and just up the road from the Haas, uh, within striking distance, if you could have got past the Haas, was Joe Guan Yu and the Sauber. So it made perfect sense that the guy with the faster tyre had more chance of being able to pass that possibly two cars than the guy in the slower tyre. Um, so they, they give him that, that opportunity. And as it turned out, he didn't have enough extra performance to be able to to, to make a move on on Kevin, so it it, it didn't um, it didn't work. But it's you know you always you always try to do the absolute maximum you can, even if it's uh, unlikely. And it, say Daniel had been able to get past um, Kevin and Joe, he'd have been eleventh, and then one retirement ahead of him. Hey, Presto, he isn't a point, so it's perfectly feasible. Uh, so no, it was an entirely logical decision. And a question now from Christopher Parrott, who says, Kevin Magnussen seemed to have a steady run, albeit out of the points. Have has solved their race pace issues relative to qualifying based on what we saw in the first race of the season? Do we have the evidence to say that? Uh, Haas seems to think it does. With this car, what they have now, obviously they will upgrade it and, and, and change it through the season. That might induce some new characteristics. What they have now, they believe they've got a race set up on it and, a, and an underlying car concept characteristic whatever you want to call it that can look after its tires better it gives them the options in terms of setup and in terms of what the drivers can do to make the tires last so they were actually able to fight in the midfield and it didn't pay out because obviously Hulkenberg's error in punting stroll on on lap one after the bad start but if that is the case then with what um with what Hulkenberg is capable of doing in qualifying you know Ayo Komatsu the team boss I asked him is is Nico one of the outright fastest drivers over a single lap in F1. And I just said, yes, he is. And I agree with him. I would say he's probably top five on the grid for for, for qualifying ability. Um, and now they've got a car that, okay, it didn't on this occasion, but now they've got a car that might actually be able to cash in on that, which could be a mega weapon to have in what is going to likely be a very tight midfield fight with not that many points finishes on offer. Yeah, it certainly doesn't look like a car that's going to be hopeless in races. That's for sure. Obviously, it's only one race, but it's it's quite a, a demanding one in terms of tyre management so hopefully Hass have got something they can go racing with and a question now from JK that I'll take 
Given how we saw numerous examples of cars getting within one, one and a half seconds of the car in front and unable to make further inroads, can we safely say that the followability of these cars is almost back to that of the pre-2022 regulations? I don't think it's that bad. It's, it's not got back to that level. I don't have access to any, so I doubt if the FI has done any studies on this year's cars particularly. It's probably got a little bit worse than last year, but it's not as bad as it was. doesn't mean it's good. But also, this is the Hungarian Grand Prix is one of those races because there's so much tire management. Because overtaking in a car where you've got a significant advantage is quite easy to do, you tend to get yourself sorted into an order quite quickly as well. So there are a lot of people who might have been within one, one and a half seconds of a car that is essentially the same pace. So I think that played a part as well. So probably the following's got fractionally worse this year, but I don't think it's back to 2021 levels and certainly the studies they did based on last year said it was still a significant improvement on that but it's still it's still a big problem they're still high speed aero racing cars moving through the air at speed unless you run them in a vacuum you're going to have turbulence and if you run them in a vacuum if you work out some some magical way to do that you're not going to have much uh, downforce are you so there's going to be other problems right scott to finish off a question from Gareth Moore, who says, I do think you as journalists have done us normal fans a small disservice in how you have refused to even suggest that the rules should be changed to bring the field closer to Red Bull. I know it's a competition, but the casual fan wants closer competition at the front. F1 and Stefano Domenicali should have already made changes. I assume your answer will again go back to it's a competition. I'd rather see a competition of the best driver fighting an equal machinery. Maybe you should consider even slightly suggesting a change. I know many of us fans will lose interest along with cancelling our race memberships you should be more open to this well i'd like to think that people were members of the race members club because of many for for, for many for many reasons um and, and part of that will be an appreciation of all the other things that make f1 great rather than just you know the absolute outright fight at, at the front but everyone's free to do what they wish if f1's boring you and you don't want to watch f1 and you don't want the coverage i, I can't stop you from from, from cancelling it but it's not just about it's a competition. It's just that I, I, don't, I don't think there should be interference. And I know that there's a big, I can see it on social this evening, um, there's a big debate about you know, how often the rules were changed between, 2020, uh, between 2014, for example, and 2021. And that ultimately led to Mercedes finally being toppled. And there were various changes through the year, weren't there? The car rule changes, te- uh, aerodynamic rule changes, the party mode being being banned effectively all these little things that Mercedes seemed to be great at and did and the the aero rule changes that were introduced in 2021 for example which some people especially in Mercedes firmly believe was done specifically to hobble their car because it it, it hurt the the type of car that was basically only the um the Mercedes and the 2020 racing point um all these things happened which to a greater or lesser extent was designed to hurt Mercedes and hopefully bring the racing close together but i don't think that should have happened i i i think that should have been left alone at the time because that that is what like i said earlier sport is about having the opportunity for the people who do the best job to be rewarded as such so i i i can't in good conscience argue or suggest that that should happen now because i just don't personally believe it's right from a regulator point of view, championship point of view, if they want to reevaluate whether or not they've made the right decisions on the, the regulations, 
to allow for better quality of racing or because they've realized they've accidentally created a, a framework and a set of rules across the technical side of things and the financial side of things and the aerodynamic testing restrictions and everything to go ah actually we've actually now made it so that if you do start the regulations on the front foot your your advantage is effectively baked in for years if they came to that conclusion and want to make some changes i'm absolutely in favor of that but i'm not in favor of in-season changes in particular change some stuff for 2025 if they really want to or look at doing a much better job with the technical regulations and all the other framework for 2026 but i didn't i i've never liked the rules being changed to hobble a team that's doing really well and i'm not going to advocate for that now yeah exactly i mean i'd, I'd certainly be open to changes if they're equitable changes should we say rather than just ones just to throw a spanner in the works. Now, this has been done in F1 history, and sometimes it has produced some great seasons, unfortunately. But, well, I say unfortunately, but, you know, 21 was, was an example. But you want it to be fair and equitable. Now, th there's a few things, because I would say you don't just because Muhammad Ali was the greatest boxer change the rules of boxing, because that's a bit predictable. Now, there is the point in here you want to see it as a driver's competition. Well, great, make all the cars identical, but hang on a minute, look at F2. Look at how Prima did this weekend with two of the best drivers in the field, Antonelli and Behrman. They didn't have the cars right, and they were nowhere. And those are in identical cars. Everyone's got the exact same parts, but there's still a spread, and that will always happen, unfortunately, in, in motorsport. So it's, it's very, very difficult to get to that utopia. I would say always be open to ideas of changes. I don't like what I'd call sort of a, a spanner in the works type change i think that's a little bit dangerous but certainly anything that can have that effect in an equitable way is worth considering and f1 has closed up there's not much you can do you could change the rules wholesale tomorrow or say right next season completely different cars and red bull would very likely still be ahead because they're the best team and they work well etc it's very very difficult but yeah we should always be open to ideas. We'd all like to see the best drivers fighting in roughly equal machinery, but it's just very, very difficult to achieve. And often the, the law of unintended consequences can kick in when it comes to that. Well, that's it for our Bahrain Grand Prix review. Thanks to Scott and Mark for your insight. And thanks to everyone for joining. And if you're looking for more, we've just started the new series of the Race F1 Tech Show with Gary Anderson. The first episode's all about Red Bull and the simulation technology that's played a key role in its success and includes an interview with technical director Pierre Vachet. We'll be packing up and heading to Saudi Arabia for the second part of this season opening Saturday doubleheader. So stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.